is just the inner contentment that may range from ecstatics. If you're joyous when you've just won the Super Bowl, you're probably ecstatic. You know, if, uh, every 10 years, I get joyous and happy both at the same time because we actually win a football game against OU. Uh, but when you've got a migraine headache or your husband's just dropped dead, you're not going to have any happiness. But you're going to have an inner contentment, kind of an inner stability that ranges, the emotional ranges from ecstatics to just stability. And I, I know our friend is just numb now. I mean, uh, i tell you what, the, there's so many teachers that, in our public schools that are great people and believers. And uh, I don't think probably everybody that circled the wagon yesterday for that dear lady and, 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 and met with her were necessarily all believers, but I bet about 90% of them were. You know, so don't don't put down the public schools, uh, at least this version, where a lot of us are trying to make them, make them work. And then you've got uh, things like what Carol's doing with Link One Mentors, actually, rather than just uh, uh, cursing the darkness, you know, she's actually mobilizing Christians, faith-based uh, ministry, to go into the public schools and try to inject a little light and a little common sense and truth into these people's lives. So, yeah, that's the difference. But, I mean, think about Hebrews 12. Uh, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Is there any happiness in the crucifixion? There's no happiness in a crucifixion. Nobody can be happy about crucifixion. But the scripture said he had joy, okay? Now, a big part of this is just our, our mental attitude and our perspective. Um, this is a kind of a famous quote from C.S. Lewis that I really never heard about until I was reading a Christian website recently that referred to this Christian, this famous quote from C.S. Lewis everybody quotes, and I'd never heard of it before. <laughs> but uh, so maybe you've already heard this, but in uh, one of his books, The Weight of Glory, he said, we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and food, getting all freaked out about having the best, you know, beverage or the best food when infinite joy is offered us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. And he's a Brit, so holiday means vacation, okay? You see the analogy? If all you know is mud pies in a slum and that's good enough for you, you're happy. And somebody wants to take you on an all-expenses-paid cruise for two weeks, you don't want to go. Why? You, you can't even conceive of it. You're not even thinking those categories. Now, that's C.S. Lewis. This is Brad McCoy. In other words, too often we spend uh, so much focus on superficial things to make us happy, we fail to focus on truly substantial things that produce joy, uh, rooted in abiding in Christ over self, living lives of faith, character, self-sacrifice, generosity, and fidelity. And generosity is so important, you know. I mean, Jesus says it's more blessed to give and receive. You know why he said that? Because you're going to get a blessing if you're generous. Just because that's the way life works. And you can kind of live your life like this, or you can live your, li live your life like this. And you can maybe be more generous to people than they deserve, and sometimes they won't appreciate it or they'll take advantage of it. But there's still an inner joy. You look in the, in the mirror and you say, yeah, I did everything I could do and more, and they didn't get it, which is too bad for them. So, yeah, fidelity to the truly significant. Hard things that are truly important things. You know, to find joy, you've got to commit it to hard things, like daring to doubt your doubts in the worst of your problems. So that's verse 6. Seeing our problems now through the lens of faith and hope. What's hope? Hope is not hoping I get to go to heaven. It's looking forward to going to heaven because you're a believer now, Zach. So that's what you want, right? That's verse uh, 
verse 6, right? And again, think of Hebrews 12. Jesus had joy despite the crucifixion. Now let's look at uh, verse 7 through 9, which is kind of the counterpoint of verse 6. Persevering with joy in the midst of painful problems now will lead to special commendation from Christ in the future. This is the unbelievable part. But Steve, you know, we're, we're done with that yellow part. So let's just get rid of that, okay? But then we're, we got a blank slide with just stuff on the bottom. So let's want to move that up. We did that a couple weeks ago, and you didn't like it then either, did you? But that's okay. <laughs> and this is a, this is a quote from uh, probably my, uh, one of my favorite theologians I don't agree with on a lot of stuff, but he really says a lot of cool stuff. I, Howard Marshall, right, James? Um, the Christian life is one of hope. Hope is faith directed forward to stuff we've been promised. The Christian life is one of hope, despite the fact our future salvation is not revealed. You can't see it. In fact, it's too good even to come up with categories to describe very well. Christian life is a life of joy, the stability that comes when you're abiding in Christ, despite often intense present suffering, and it's a life of faith in Jesus Christ. That's the core of it, of course, and this other stuff comes out of it, despite the fact we have not yet seen him. Notice again, look at verse 7. Uh, God's permitting this in part so our faith can be uh, broadcast against the darkness of our circumstances. People say, well, why would God let, uh, it's one thing for a child molester to get a horrible, painful brain tumor and die, but why would God let Christians get horrible brain tumors and die? Do Christians get horrible brain tumors and die? Can that happen to real Christians? Yeah, it does. happens all the time. Uh, One reason that happens, I think, is so the world can see the difference. And five nanoseconds after you're in heaven, there won't be any doubts or complaints about it. And God, give us the grace to handle the stuff now we have to handle because sometimes it is inexplicable. So that the proof of your faith being much more precious than the best gold that humans can possibly refine, even though ultimately it's going to burn when we get to the new heaven, new earth, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor for the person who lives out their faith when Jesus comes and gets us, puts us into heaven and says, you did good, boy. Now, there's a bunch of stuff we could bring up, but I won't because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But you gave somebody a glass of water in my name, and you don't even remember doing that, and let me give you the first of about a thousand kudos I'm going to give you. And... Uh, yeah, I, I lived with a World War II. My dad was a World War II veteran who had, was a tattooed man who liked to walk around uh, in the house, not, not in public, but without a shirt on. And he had this huge American eagle tattooed to his chest, and he had the Navy seal here, and he had a New Zealand kiwi here. And we were never told why he had a New Zealand kiwi there, but, you know, I think he was probably in a drunk trying to impress a New Zealand girl. That's just my opinion. I don't know. I <laughs> uh, could be wrong, Lord. Uh, on that, but uh, you know, it's funny because now at, Cam- at Cameron, you know, I see a lot of college students with tattoos, and when that comes up, they usually think it's blowing my mind. I say it doesn't blow my mind a bit. I grew up with a tattooed guy to the extent I rebelled, and I didn't really rebel very much. Uh, not getting tattoos was one way I rebelled, you know. But uh, yeah, uh, I wonder where I was going with that. <laughs> I don't remember, but it might come back to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, praise, glory, and honor. I, I was going to say, uh, my dad, wor- you know, I think he loved us the way he thought he had to love us. He worked really hard and made a nice income. And we weren't rich, but we were very comfortable. And uh, he taught me how to play baseball, taught me how to throw a curveball. 
uh, and he, he taught me how to play golf, but I got so much better than him so quick, he kind of stopped playing golf with me, uh, just in, in my situation. So, but he wasn't a guy, he was a man of few compliments, very, very few. Uh, but it's funny because as he got older, I think my mom realized I kind of craved him to say nice things about me occasionally, and he had a hard time doing that. But she would, t- uh, toward the end of his life, she would always tell me, yeah, you know, after you guys visited last week, you know, he was talking about this and that. I can't believe Brad did this and that in a good way. So it was kind of like my mom was trying to let me know, you know, behind my back. Uh, but I would say, you know, if you, if you can, don't butter people up just to make it easier on yourself. That's called lying. But when you see, when you see middle school and high school kids sitting here like they're interested, almost all of them look like they're interested, and if you can't find rest in the house of the Lord, where are you going to find it? You know, so that's good too. But, I mean, they're here. They're happy. It takes a lot of work for some of the adults to get them here. But, hey, it's great. I mean, they could be sleeping in, uh, but they, they want to be here. And I think that's awesome. So I'm going to brag on you guys today. Way, way to go. And uh, here's the good news. This is probably more stuff than you're interested in right now. But all of my messages have happy endings because you're going to be very happy when I end it, aren't you? <laughs> so, so you've got something to look forward to. See, that's hope. That's faith directed to the future. So it's going to be like another two and a half hours, but one week. No, it's not going to be, not going to be that long. So uh, this is done in part so more people will see and believe the gospel. And nanoseconds into heaven, you're going to be so glad God maybe used you to let somebody see your faith. Even people you didn't know noticed will notice and be influenced by this, among other things. Verse 8, and watch this. For the readers of this originally, and for us, we've never seen Jesus. It's not easy to believe in Jesus for salvation. You believe in somebody you've never seen? Uh, God's got to do stuff so you can even do that. But uh, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you don't see him now, uh, but you believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy. You've got this stability that transcends your circumstances, inexpressible, obtaining, as you anticipate, obtaining the outcome of your faith, salvation of your souls. The thing I want to zero in on as we move toward the happy ending, but we're a little bit bit away from it still. Verse 7, the proof of our faith, our faith being lived out despite uh, the crucible of suffering, even imperfectly, and we're not going to live it perfectly even when things are going well. In fact, that may be a bigger temptation for some. Uh, will be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus when he commends us. Now, I know what you're going to say. That's too good to be true, Brad. That's not saying praise, glory, and honor for Homer or for Ron or for uh, the Deegs. That's saying praise, glory, and honor for Jesus. He's going to get a lot of praise, glory, and honor, and he totally deserves deserves all all of it. But this kind of stuff, which is occasionally seen in Scripture, it's kind of like the sun and the moon. I like that analogy. You know, on a full moon, Russell, you can see the moon. It's bright. You might say, that's a bright full moon, isn't it? And you know what? That's a very non-scientific statement you said that. That's not a bright full moon. That moon is a dead rock. There is no light coming out of the, out of the moon, is there? You're an engineer. You know that. So why do we see the full moon? The sun, sunlight is bouncing off of it, right, Michael? We're not the source of the light. We're just a reflection of it. But Jesus, who loves us enough to die for us, likes us enough to brag about the fact we let his light bounce off of us. And it especially shows up when you've had great challenges to overcome. Let's look at some verses. 
If you don't want to flip back to the Old Testament, that's cool. I can find it here pretty quick. Look at Zephaniah 3. It's funny because I think James has been talking about this with the youth group. So youth group, uh, the idea that me and James kind of uh, have a conspiracy to try to chunk some truth on you is partially true, you know, just so you'll know. But look at this. Zephaniah, three chapters, all about the fact that the Messiah is going to make it all work out in the end. Just wait. It's going to happen. But he's thinking about Jesus coming back at the end of history and setting up a kingdom that's going to be visible, supernatural, undeniable, and it's going to be based in Jerusalem, which is the capital of Israel, whether they recognize it or not. Look at this. Verse 16 and 17, Zephaniah, not Zechariah, Zephaniah, chapter 3, verse 6, uh, verse 16 and 17. In that day, after the second coming of the Messiah, after the second coming of Jesus, it will be said to Jerusalem, you don't have to worry about ISIS or the Intifada or all these uh, uh, you know, people lobbying uh, weapons from Gaza and the, and the uh, Golan Heights into civilian areas and Israeli hospitals and schools on purpose. Uh, you want to be afraid, O Zion. Uh, don't let your hands grow wi- limp. Watch this. The Lord, your g- and here's why. You don't have to be afraid during the millennium. The Lord, your God, is in your midst. That is, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, incarnate, glorified, will be the king of earth in the universe, ruling from Jerusalem. A victorious warrior. The second advent is God invading earth and ending human history as we've known it on his terms. The Lord your God will be in your midst as a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. You read that and say, nah, that must be a bad translation. Shouldn't it say, we will exult over him? It doesn't say that, Tommy. It says, he will exult over you. And he's talking about the redeemed residents of Jerusalem, but that applies to all the the redeemed, certainly. He'll be quiet in his love. That's a figure of speech that says, He's going to love you so much he can't express how great it is. Now, he could express how great it is, but it's a figure of speech. He, watch this, Janice. This is Zechariah 3.17. See, he will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. The Jesus who loved you enough to die for you is going to brag on you, find stuff to like about you and brag about in heaven. He's going to rejoice over you. I thought we were supposed to rejoice over him. We will. But he's going to rejoice over you, Jan. I mean, it's like too good to be true. It's like, can I even dare to believe that and think that? It sounds, sounds like it's blasphemy. It's, it's, that's what it says. That's what it says. Uh, that's, that was my, that's my Trump, that's my Trump card. Pardon the expression. That's the best one. We'll start with the best one first. Look at Luke 22. What do you know about the disciples the night of the arrest and the day of the crucifixion? They all kind of scatter like chickens, right? They just totally fail under fire. And Jesus knows that's about to happen. But as he starts the Last Supper, he says in Luke twenty-two fifteen, he looks at him and he says, basically paraphrase, hey guys, I've really, really been looking forward to having this last meal with you guys before I suffer. I've been, I've been looking forward to spending time with you. Now, again, that almost sounds blasphemous. Shouldn't they be saying, we've been looking forward to spending time with you before the gore happens, and then we'll see you after the resurrection. Uh, but, you know, we're going to be taking a leave of absence for the next couple of days, Lord. So, you know, we'll see you on the other side. This is Jesus Christ saying to these guys, 
And he knows them, man. And what were they talking about on the way to the banquet? Do you remember? The disciples were talking about which one of them was the greatest. Jesus is about to go to the cross, and they're talking about how great they are. And he knows that, and yet he looks at them, and he loves them, and he still likes them. I've really been looking for it. I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you, with just you guys. I've really been looking forward to this. Look at John 17. After the Last Supper, just before the arrest, Jesus prays for us, but first he prays for them, the 11 believing apostles. And in John 17, verse 6 through 8, you get part of what he says. He's praying to to the Father, but he's talking about his guys here with all of their faults, knowing they're about to fail under fire. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. He's talking about the 11 believing apostles. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. At one level they did. Now we see all the oil they leak in the Gospels up to this point, and about to really blow it, and Peter's going to cuss about not knowing Jesus. And yet Jesus looks at them generally and says, they've kept your word. You know, he really loves his people. And, he, and he, he likes his people. That's good to know. Most preachers won't tell you that. <laughs> now, they have come to know that everything you've given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I've given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came from you. And they believed that you sent me. But he summarizes who they are by saying, they have kept your word. Wow, that's a very generous way to describe those cats. But he's going to be just as generous to you. Look at uh, Revelation 22. This is one I cite a lot. But I I like it. And again, we're so familiar with some of these statements from the Lord Jesus, we don't necessarily, we're not sensitive to the exact implications sometimes. But uh, in Revelation 22, uh, 12, yeah, the Lord says, Behold, I'm coming suddenly. Talking about, the rapture, and then the rewarding of believers, church-age believers. I'm coming, I'm coming quickly. And guess what, guys? Church-age believers, uh, Steve and Janice and Sue and Kitty and Zane. My reward is with me to render to each believer according to what he's done. I'm going to find stuff to like. I'm not going to bring your sins up because as far as east is from the west, no condemnation. I'm going to find stuff to like, and I can't wait to give you rewards. And I always said as a father... You know, if we'd buy the kids a birthday present a couple weeks early, I was terrible about keeping secrets. I just couldn't wait to give them their, their birthday present, probably because I was one to play with it, you know. But uh, I, and that's that's kind of what you see in that statement. Now, can I add one more? Is that okay? Okay, I'm going to anyway. But look at Matthew five, with or without a microphone, it doesn't matter. I was having back spasm or back spasms earlier, which is not going to keep me from the workday. But uh, right in the middle of my back, it's kind of weird. I was talking to Ken about his uh, accident. I think I must be a hypochondriac. We were talking, you know, about uh, you recovering, and suddenly I get back spasms. But old age is not for sissies. <laughs> Look what the Lord says here in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five ten through twelve. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, 
Every believer, born-again believer, is a member of a persecuted minority group. And just generally, the world has always kind of looked crossways at us. That's just a general truth. We're kind of second-class citizens for most of human history at so many different levels. But then it goes on and says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say falsely uh, all kinds of evil against you because of my name. Rejoice. Stay stable. You know, Abide in me. Even when it's painful because you don't get to be the most public, popular kid in, in school, they don't want you on the cheerleading squad or whatever because you're Christian, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. I'm really going to brag about you up there about that. I mean, you took some fire and hung in there. For that's the way all the greats have always been treated, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So go back to First uh, Peter 1, and we'll summarize this way. Unbelievable stuff. Uh, I know that you know most people punt to systematic theology on a passage like this, and they think the glory, praise, and the honor is going to Jesus, and of course it does ultimately. But this isn't talking about that here. This is Peter saying that the proof of your faith is going to result in praise, glory, and honor for you when Jesus talks about how great he loves you as his particular child that he saved and nurtured and that he empowered to actually do this right under fire. The Christ who loved us enough to die for us, to save us, actually likes us and will work hard to find things to reward and commend about us in heaven. Now, this applies to believers only, right? Remember, First Peter is a book by a believer to believers who are under fire. This isn't referring to uh, non-believers. It's talking about the, the set of the saved, you might say. But... Uh, Let's look at the way Scripture divides people. It's interesting. You know, we tend to think of good people, bad people. Tonight in our Bible study for the men's, uh, the author says, really, God doesn't see it as good people, bad people, because all of sin comes short of the glory of God. We're all bad compared to God. But humble people and self-righteous people, you know. And Jesus tells the parable in chapter 18, the rich man and the Republican. I mean, the rich man and the publican, not the Republican, sorry, you know. And the guy who says, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner, he's the guy who gets justified. Uh, John 3.18, not 3.16, but 3.18. The one who believes in him, Christ who's lifted up, verse 14, God sent that whoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life, 16. The one who believes in him is no judge. That should be not judged. There's no condemnation. The one who does not believe has been judged already, stands condemned, because that's where you started, because he or she has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So all i got to do is believe that his name is Jesus and I go to heaven? No. The name stands for the person, the character, and or the achievements. And we're daring to believe that God the Son, Jesus died as our substitute and rose again from the dead, that God, man, Savior, did everything necessary to get us to heaven. Or like we like to say, and this is... Whatever good works come out of my Christian experience, Jesus is going to brag about in heaven. That's what this message is all about. So, you know, the bottom line of the gospel is because Christ died for our sins. We don't have to die in our sins. You can if you want to, but you don't have to. So uh, the risen Christ is the issue of eternal life, and you can have eternal life right where you sit. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become sons of God to those who believe on his name. Uh, what's the thief on the cross say? Jesus, remember me when you come in the kingdom. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I can't fix it. I dare to believe you died for my sins and did everything to get me to heaven. I'm not a theologian, but the preacher knows a little bit about it, and I know James knows a lot about it. 
and I accept you. I want you to be my Savior. That's saving faith, active, receptive trust. Uh, That's our invitation today. But uh, the bottom line today is, in light of the fact that the God who loves us enough to save us actually likes us and is going to brag about us in heaven, means that this should motivate us to live now in light of eternity. And our inheritance is that description of our heavenly inheritance in verses 3 through 5 is kind of what caused this other content we looked at today to spin off. And we said last week, our inheritance is not described in great detail, probably because there's no human categories to adequately describe it. But we're told, or at least I said, let's call it our residence in heaven plus everything else that it involves. Because we do know Jesus said, I'm going to go to heaven and prepare a place for you, right? So that's a big part of that. And also we should live in the future with, with uh, thoughts about the future, motivated to live in the now correctly in anticipation of the future. Because Jesus is going to reward and first review our Christian experience. And there may be more times, I can remember I went through like three weeks in college where I was cussing like a sailor in the locker room, uh, just trying to, I guess, impress other guys for some reason. And then I had a guy in my class who was a Port Nature student. The Needle and Port Nature's are rivals. And uh, this guy who knew I was a believer, he came around a corner. I was in the middle, middle of saying something horrible, uh, trying to impress these uh, ex-football players. Uh, and I never played football. I, I could have been a great football player, but I had a lack of speed, size, strength, uh, desire to get hit, things like that. So I just hit golf balls and baseballs instead, but uh, which is a lot better, you know. But uh, so many ways. But yeah, he comes around the corner, and I've just said something, and all I had to do was look at me, and just like blow me away, man. And I said, just talk, you know. And so God will use not not even a word, just a man that can come in the room. And, can, and kind of convict people. That's what happened to me. And I said, man, I'm, I'm so stupid. Once, sometimes we, we, get, we, we do stuff we know is wrong and terrible, but until somebody calls us on it, and it, it just needs to be somebody who, that we, who knows us just to look at us. I mean, again, my, my dad, all I had to do was look at me with a certain look, and I knew I was in trouble. And whatever I was doing, I stopped immediately. I don't know if you guys have that in your life, but somebody, you need to respect somebody, your parents, James, Shauna, somebody that, you know, that uh, can have that kind of effect on your life. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Jesus is going to review the stuff, and he's going to say, okay, man, you came to permeate for 10 years in a row. And I'd love to reward that, but I can't because you were doing that to make business contacts or you were doing the right thing for the wrong reason. We call that bad good works. But every little thing you do, less, less big things that you're doing for the right reasons, however imperfectly. Do I do anything perfect around here? Don't answer that. I, I don't think I do anything perfectly. I'm never happy with anything I do. I can always do better. Uh, but every little thing we do that we're doing for the right reason to glorify him, he's going to use to brag on us in heaven can you believe that? Is that awesome? Is that encouraging? Hope it is. Hope it blows your mind. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, let us walk out of here with these just unbelievable truths about just how gracious you are to your children. Sometimes we take that, uh, we just can't believe it. We don't even think of those categories. Or a few people take that and use that as a license to do all kinds of horrible things and it doesn't really matter. And I don't think we have too many people like that in this room today. Most of us need to be encouraged that you not just love only love us, you like us, and you're going to find stuff to brag about and help us to live this day and this week, and especially those who are undergoing intense 
uh, struggles and crises to realize it is important for us to be doing the right things and to stay stable as you enable us to do so. So you can be glorified in this and so you can brag about us in the future in heaven. Man, that is going to be so much fun. Thank you, Lord, for that truth. Let it be motivating to all of us to walk closer closer with you and never notice how great we are because you're going to bring it up in the appropriate time, even as you get all the ultimate glory. We pray all of these things. You'd be glorified, Lord Jesus. Amen.